Welcome to Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville, News Radio 98.9 and 1070 AM WINA. With Price Thomas, I'm Robbie Respetto, coming to you right here from downtown Charlottesville. And with that, Price. And we are into the, the new year. And what better way, first of all, Happy New Year to every everyone. Um, and what better way to kick off the new year with um, with our, our friend here. And we're going to, so here's here's what we were just talking about offline is that this, there's like a CVS receipt of things that he is currently doing. I'm going to boil it down and introduce him as our friend Zicky Munyao, Managing Director of Just Help Africa. But before we get into the rest of the stuff, um, all I want you to do is tell folks um, a little bit about how you're in Charlottesville, and then we're going to get into the other 942 things that you're also currently doing. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so <clears throat> my name is Zicky Munyao. I've been in Charlottesville since 2006. Um, came to the U.S. back in 1998 and uh, very quickly knew that I was not ready for college, which is what brought me to the U.S. So I joined the military and I served in the Army and got out in 2002, uh, where I was trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, so I ended up in school, came down to UVA, uh, and from 06 till now, you know, I have then, you know, go from college and driving tractor trailers uh, into the professional world of project management uh, for software development projects. So you came, you say you came for school in 98, mm-hmm. didn't uh, end up <clears throat> going to school. Yeah, I never went to class. <laughs> yeah. Were you enrolled? I was enrolled at the University of Cincinnati, yes. So, you, okay, so you, you come from Africa to Ohio. Uh-huh. <laughs> Culture shock. And, and then don't go, with an enrollment, with an idea of like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to come here, I'm going to go to school, bang, bang, and then, don't, so what happened? Like when? At what point did you get here? And you were like, mm, not, not gonna happen. Like almost immediately, because really? when I got here, it was my first, uh, f- first time in America, and okay. first time into this culture where things are so free, right? You know, so like I, I have my peace away from my parents. You know, so right. now this is my time to shine. Yeah. And in college, you know, you have beer and all the fun that college brings. Mm-hmm. So I just dove dive you know i dove deep into that sure and <laughs> just could never wake in time to go to class right. so at some point i got a letter from the dean telling me <laughs> hey man you gotta for show a different up semester because you know <laughs> you're, not ready. you're not here yeah, yeah. You're not ready. yeah so the recruiters were right there in the cafeteria uh, they were ready for you yeah. Oh, yeah, they was, wait for those people that yeah, i was right. ready but that gave me the structure the discipline yeah. you know the ability to now understand life in a better way for me than to thrive hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What was um? So you had can you and talk a little bit about that because we've had a, a, a few folks who have who have done you know who have been enlisted here on the show and can you just talk a little bit about that because it's a little bit of a different angle right all of those other folks have been yeah grew up here right and so some of that was familial some of it was like you know my dad was in the military my grandfather that was the path some of it was you know I didn't know what I wanted to do really but again you have this whole sort of culture layer of like I came into a place that I've never been before everything was different and then you go into that culture which is its own sort of a world unto itself right even if you're familiar with the United States right, right? right. so how is that adjustment going from you know where you grew up to this kind of unbridled freedom of college to I, maybe you could argue the most restrictive and structured environment yes. that you could find right so you've hit like every pole <laughs> yeah. in a matter of a year that's true so in Kenya you know luckily I went to schools that gave me exposure to the mm-hmm. city to the nightlife and all that so when I came to America I I kind of had already um experienced the western lifestyle mm-hmm. you know like as a teenager so when I came here 
I wanted to continue that. You know, the fun factor of being a 20-year-old uh, includes, you know, partying all the time. Sure, sure. And, you know, we, have, we have energy for that at one a point. A lot in our of lives, energy right? for yeah. that. And the schools I went to kind of encouraged that kind of lifestyle. Hmm. But then when I came here, one thing that, you know, my mom used to tell me is that your stuff is always orderly. Like, right. <laughs> I, I know where all my stuff is because I... I um I'm disciplined that way mm-hmm. and I knew as a kid I wanted to be a soldier hmm. and I wanted to drive tractor trailer because I grew up around uh you know big vehicles my oh. grandfather my dad uh they both owned uh everything from tractors to you know buses hmm. to huh. tractor trailers so I was, I was exposed to all these early so I knew I wanted to do these two and actually I used to lie to my friends and say hey my childhood dreams are to become a pilot but that was a lie. <laughs> the truth was I wanted to become a soldier and I wanted to become a uh, uh you know drive trucks. Right. And you know in Kenya that's usually like looked down upon they're like you're not ambitious enough, you know. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, uh, my parents were not my dad mostly was not uh, into my going to the military. Right. Uh, I'm an only son with three younger sisters. Mm-hmm firstborn and in the african culture that's a big deal mm-hmm. so they want you to live as long as possible because you're the one who will take care of your family sure. and you know the 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 collective uh, over time so right. they want you to be safe and learn and you know so th- i came to america to do school when i got here um obviously i wanted to continue on having this freedom and having this fun but it couldn't last forever right. so when i spoke to the recruiter I knew exactly what I wanted to do in the military, which was drive trucks, <coughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was like, look, man, you got all these smarts, you know, like you scored very well on the ASVAB, which is the test to enter the military. Right. Uh, I was like, yeah, I mean, but I would very much like to do the the truck driving. Mm-hmm. And when I got in, again, I was only maybe six, seven months into the U.S. Yeah. And the reason I was able to get into the military, by the way, which is a big factor, right. is I won the green card lottery while in Kenya. Mm. So I came to the U.S. with a green card, which gives me the ability to work. Actually, it's it's funny. You can do anything in the U.S. with a green card other than vote. Yeah. Right. So I came here with a ticket when you come to this country, for sure. Exactly. So I was like, I need to join the military. And for me, basic training was a breeze because... Um, a lot of the things that are required to be done in basic training are just to do with physical exercise and just keeping like your mind state sure. uh, yeah. in, in a positive manner mm-hmm. and you'll go through everything because, you know, they don't hit you, they don't beat you up, you know, like other military does. Right. So you're able to like just be like a a, a disciplined soldier without having to ta- take on like, you know, sure. <laughs> violence and all sure. that, yeah, you know, like so... I found it very, very easy. I, I was able to quickly go through the ranks and also got promoted during basic training because I was, I played the, more of a leadership role. Sure. So I fit very well into the military, the structure of the military, and I allowed for them to kind of ingrain in me, you know, that structure and discipline mm. just by listening and following instructions. You know, everything from making your bed in the morning in a certain specific way. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know, to dealing with all the crap that they do to you when somebody else messes up and you are the one who's responsible to, for it. Exactly. It's a so, great lesson in life. Yes. <laughs> so based on that, you know, I was lucky enough to be, you know, stationed across multiple uh places here in the US, mm-hmm. but never really got to see the US. So my first day to see civilian US in its entirety without having the backdrop of having to go back to base yeah. was in two thousand and two in March 
when okay. I when I came out is like the real first experience uh, right. of not being in America, mm-hmm. the proper America where I have to work, yeah. where I have to kind of you know hustle every day, where I have to survive on my own. Um, that was now the the point where I now start dealing with America mm. the way it is, and a lot of the things while I was in in the military were kind of like taking care. Of for me, mm. and I was always on base, so I was overseas. Yeah. Uh, so two 2002 is really when I started experiencing the U.S. for what it is. I'm curious about um, philanthropy. Yeah. So there's this thread of mm-hmm. you wanting to give back not only to your own country but also here in the United States. How did that um, come about for you? Like, did somebody model that for you? Like, what gave you that inspiration? So, my uh, project management, software development, white collar job. Started in two thousand and eight. I started, and the entire time I've always lived in Charlottesville since. From when I moved here in two thousand and six. So in two thousand and eight, I took a job with an organization up in Northern Virginia that was, you know, calling themselves, you know, government change agents, mm-hmm. uh, and we were working with the NIH and other organizations. So for, you know, about uh, seven eight years, you know, I was just ingrained in just making my career what it is. Mm-hmm. And around twenty. Uh, 13, uh, I started looking at opportunities here in Charlottesville and I started learning more about Charlottesville. And around 2014, I started working at a local organization and one of the guys there was like, look, I am part of the community area, uh, Charlottesville Area Community Foundation mm-hmm. and we have this organization called the Future Fund. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, tell me more. And uh, the Future Fund is philanthropic, uh, kind of helping People who want to get into philanthropy understand what it takes, mm-hmm. and the money would go back to nonprofits locally. And I was like, "That's a very good model." Yeah. And now, because I'd already done the professional side of things, and I felt like life was getting a little bit comfortable, I was like, "I can spare two hundred dollars, you know, a year to give back to the community and see yeah. where that money goes and how it helps the community." So, participated in the advisory group for the Future Fund at CACF. And then uh, there was a change in direction. So we, uh, the advisory group that was there and a few others from outside were like, hey, you know, we can continue this model of, you know, helping people understand how to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. And we started Civil Gives in 2015. Mm. When Civil Gives started, it's a, it's a philanthropic networking club. Mm-hmm. And what we do is, you know, do happy hours. We do events where a nonprofit comes and speaks monthly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our membership, you know, we'd get members uh, who would come in at $200 mm-hmm. individually or $350 for a couple. They would make up the, the, the group that decides where the money ends up. Mm-hmm. So each month we would come in. We'd introduce people to others. We'd just, you know, congregate and have a good time. Sure. A nonprofit would speak. We'd learn about the nonprofit, and then around <laughs> April, you know, we we as a group would sit down and say, "Hey, this is the area we want to focus on to give back into the community." And just like that, you know, the first year we raised twenty-three thousand dollars. Wow! And we gave that back uh, to several organizations. I believe City of City of Promise was the 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 first recipient uh, from us uh, in twenty fifteen or sixteen. And from there, I was like, "Man, I'm getting a kick out of this." Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I started doing more. Um, you know, now we are doing Just Help Africa, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, an organization that's looking to build wells, uh, improve education in sub-Saharan Africa. We are starting with a well down in Nigeria in a place called Ibado, where 
a good friend and the founder of uh, Just Help, uh, Tunji Shoroye, yeah. uh, is from. Uh, oh, and wow. he's going there, I believe, on the 19th. Oh, wonderful. Because we've now, we started this organization last year in May. We started raising money uh, in August. And now we have enough to build a well. That's great. So wow. the well digging starts on Monday. That's fantastic. Wow. Uh, and it should be done by the 29th of this month. And Tunji is going to be there to open. Be a part of that. That's fantastic. Yeah, so now <clears throat> we're able to raise about $25,000. That's wonderful. For this. You worked so, with the Rotary on that, right? We did. Did the you Rotary give us? Yeah, yeah, they gave us some money. Good, excellent. <coughs> it's definitely very aligned with the mission of the Rotary. It is, yeah, yeah, excellent. It is. So the Rotary helped us a lot, and they want to help us on a yearly basis. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. It's a good, a good match for what they do. Yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot about the old Rotary world. Sanitation and water is that one right? Of, one of the number one things we do internationally. Yeah. Really, I worked to raise thirty-five thousand back in two thousand and twelve for the last. Um, water project in Limpopo, Africa. Oh, really? Yeah, it was significant. It took a couple of years and uh, a lot of, you know, fundraising and whatnot, but we were able to put the well in and then the the community there came and visited the clubs here locally. It was very cool. Yeah, so this yeah. one is going to have... It's life-changing. It, it the is to so serve. many people because this will impact close to, I believe, 3,000 people locally. Yeah. Wow. Then we're also going to provide shoes, uh, bags, you know, like backpacks, yeah. um pens and uh whatever else we can to the local school yeah. so that way the kids have like you sure. know uh more um you know more than they have currently uh to help succeed in their in their education yeah. uh so there's that and then tunji being uh 6-11 and <laughs> you know well known all, yeah. in basketball here <laughs> uh is also going to hold like a tournament one day oh, uh you know both uh the boys and the girls yeah. to participate Good for her. Uh, to just you know motivate and improve yeah. morale team. within the yeah. community so. community and team that's really fantastic yeah yeah so literacy and economic development are two of the other areas we work um, <clears throat> I'm the new district governor in the next few years for 60 some clubs I'm super passionate about oh, it oh congratulations yeah, but I love the work we do internationally and, and the water thing like you know folks get sick they can't maintain health there's so many issues when they can't get clean water that yeah. people don't realize Tunji yeah. keeps on telling this story where he was one of those kids. Hmm. Yeah. He would get cholera right. wow. every six cholera. weeks. And two, he's every like in his like late thir- what late thirties, thirties now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's close. He's around my. We were yeah, around yeah. He's not that. He's not an old man. Yeah, every six <laughs> weeks, man, because wow. of terrible water. Yeah, wow. water just and inaccessibility to clean water. Like yeah. I mean, we talk about poverty in Charlottesville, and there's a lot of like work to be done locally, but it's a completely different level when you can't access clean water and you're getting diseases and illnesses that have been solved. You know, a couple centuries ago. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> tried to bring measles back in America. So, we did. You know, oh, you know, yeah, like, that's another subject. You know, we got we yeah. we some stuff to work out yeah. over here, too. I didn't realize Tunji had that story. I need to sit down with him and talk to him about Oh, Tunji's yeah. story is very, very yeah, interesting. Really. And, you know, working with him through this helps me understand, you know, a lot of the things that we can do in Africa. You know, right now, there's another nonprofit that started back in 2019 called Juza Africa. And Juza Africa, you know, our mission there was to lift kids out of poverty through the power of literacy. Mm-hmm. So we built a digital library where we put curriculum approved books for primary school kids, primary school being first grade to eighth grade, mm-hmm. uh, and went and installed this digital library with those books at 22 schools. And schools average anywhere from 400 to 5,000 kids. Mm. Um, and we were able to, you know, create impact around 20,000 mm-hmm. kids. 
So, you know, a lot of the things that we are now doing is just help are lessons learned from what we did at Juza Africa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we will continue improving upon that because in, in, in just help, we're looking at sub-Saharan Africa, water being the primary thing that we want to focus on, but education coming in a close second. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so sure. we'll continue on this. And uh, with Tunji and, you know, a lot of other people here in Charlottesville supporting us, uh, we believe that we have a long way to go and we're going to impact a lot of lives in sub-Saharan Africa. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We should definitely keep talking to Rotary locally because there's our little district here, but then beyond for the, the overall district. Oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. And we're also sense. getting some support, you know, from the Rotaries in in Africa, you know, like okay. in Nigeria, yeah. you know, we're starting to build inroads there. The relationships, the, yeah. The relationships also in Kenya, you know, we have some uh, representatives that are interested in some of the work that we're doing. So Wonderful. in coming years, you know, uh, working with Rotary in general is going to be a big part of what we do. That's great. I know we talked about the Common House. It's yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. To see where it went. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, onward. If you're, if you're just ducking in here, this is Envision Radio from the United Wave Greater Charlottesville. News Radio 989, 1070 AM WINA. Price Ravi here with Zicky Munyao talking about a little, little bit of everything. We're going to go backwards and go forwards. So yeah. you're out of the military in 02. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for where where are you geographically? I am in Alexandria, Virginia, in O two. Okay, so you're in Alexandria, in O two, and this is sort of like you sort of as you said, your first kind of like real world unfettered kind of okay. Exactly, I got to do the America thing. Yeah. So what what is what do you do? What's the first step? Yeah. So like, <laughs> my friend played me. So uh, this is <laughs> again, I don't have do, a right? home in the U.S. So yeah. uh, a friend of mine was like, "Look, you can come move up with me." Uh, I was moving up to Northern Virginia, you know, to, because I was convinced by uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine that that's the place to move to. <laughs> I was initially going to move to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, However, okay. Uh, I was convinced. Very different spots. Yeah, yeah. Very, but I was, uh, you know, my first base was in Georgia, so I knew Atlanta much I better see, and okay. I had more yeah. friends there. But I was like, you know, DC could work uh, or the DMV area would work. So I moved up here with the expectation that my friend... Uh, we'll have secured a place and I'll just move into a room and pay half the rent. Sure. Which Reasonable made, plan for a young person. Yeah. So it's 2002, <laughs> you know, Sounds good. I didn't have a phone to text message with anybody. Yeah, I just kind of right. called, left a voicemail and said, I'm coming <laughs> I'm on up, the way. <laughs> you know, so I get, jump on a U-Haul with all my stuff. Yep. <clears throat> drive overnight so I can get here by 7 a.m. I was, I was based in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Sure. Six hour drive up yep. to D.C., so I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to just take a few weeks to kind of get myself together right. and then, you know, start looking for a job. <laughs> Came up, called, 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 like it's 3 p.m. No one's picking up. I can't get a hold of anybody. So now I have no place to stay. So And you're tired. And I'm and tired. Yeah. And, your world and I just signed out of the military. I can't just go back now. You know? <laughs> right. You're out. Yeah, go, so I found a storage place, uh, put the stuff in there, returned the U-Haul, and then uh, called a friend of mine in Ohio, asked them if they had any friends in the DMV area. Right. She connected me to a friend in Maryland. Okay. And I went to Maryland, stayed with these uh, folks for a month. And in that month, I used to wake up from uh, White Marsh, which is in Baltimore, okay. jump on the train, then yep. come to Alexandria or the DC area looking for a job. Mm-hmm. The one thing I knew I knew well was cars. So hmm. I knew, okay, fine, I can sell cars. I've never sold a car before, but that's the one job I think I can start because I don't have a college education. I don't know how to find any other job. Right. And it feels like when you look into the newspapers, 
car ads for salespeople are all over. Mm-hmm. Lots of a need. Lots yeah, of so, need. so on the train, I used to look at classified <laughs> sure. and then figure out where this place is and then take the buses once I got off the train station at Union Station yeah. to go look at these dealerships. So think of it this way. I For two straight weeks, I would do this commute back and forth uh, from White Marsh to uh, uh, Union Station yeah. and then go to wherever dealership it is in a suit yeah sure tie fully dressed fully dressed yeah with a with a a stack full of my resumes yep uh and not necessarily have eaten or anything i just yeah. kind of like hitting go, the go, pavement go, yeah. until someone says yes so for two weeks all i got was no 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 we don't take anybody who's never had any experience right and then one day i walked into this dealership up in south picker street in alexandria it's called our uh, passport <clears throat> passport nissan yep It's a group of companies uh and they had this Nissan dealership there. So I walked in obviously the same way and I'm super confident. I love this place. It's a beautiful showroom. Yeah. And I speak to one of the managers because I just walked straight into the manager's office. I was like, "Hey, do you are you hiring for um for uh sales people?" Like, "No." Um I was like, "Hey, man, you know, I just got the military. I'm really struggling to find a job." I would like for an opportunity at least to see if I can do this one. Wait, give so, me like 30 days. Just give me something. Yeah. Also, you can know? we pause? Can you yeah. imagine like anyone under 35 listening to this just just like about to burst into flames? Can you imagine doing that now? Just like walking into somebody's office? Oh yeah, it's impossible now. I mean, I, right, right now like, every, everyone's like, "When did you call me? When did you send me an email?" <laughs> well, like, they're like, "No, they say apply online." Like there's this like wall. Apply yeah. online. They don't even want to see your face. Apply online. But yeah. I mean, it is I mean, it's, it's, it's such a it's such a funny story only in so far as like that seems like such a lifetime away. Like that seems incomprehensible to anyone who's right? tried to find a job sort of sp- After 2010, yeah, you don't right? have a phone with you, so no, like right. everything. You're, you're I mean, the things. I mean, look at look at the thing. You're like, I was on, I was on a metro looking at classifieds with a stack of my resumes. Exactly. There are people listening to this who have no idea what any of those words mean in that order. That is true. Right? That like, is very true. I don't, ha- I don't have resumes. I don't have a paper <laughs> of anything. It goes out into the ether, or you just look at my LinkedIn. Secondly. Looking through the classifieds is like reading a like it's like reading a map. That just might as well be. A different language. Yeah, and you, know, you don't like have the, GPS. You don't have MapQuest. You know, you, like when you get there, you literally have to figure out like where is this place. So let me let me say what's striking me about the story. Yes, the, the point you brought up, but the fact that his hustle was so entrenched that you had no other way to go forward but to win. Yes, and so I would like every person under the age of thirty-five to also hear that message. I mean, you know, that, we, you know we're just trying to order Ubers properly. Right. <laughs> that that desire to succeed, you don't find every day. That is true. And that and that I appreciate. Well, thank I mean, you. I would say some people might say you came to this country, you weren't going to you weren't going to lose. Like you came here uber motivated, right? Yes. Some people might say that. Yep. I think it could be different sometimes. We meet with people that have the born and raised here and maybe the barriers seem different. But coming as an immigrant, your mission was clear. Very clear. Failure was not is, an option. Is that a product of is, would you attribute that to that? I mean, and I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, right? But would you attribute that to being an immigrant to coming to this country with a purpose or would you attribute that to the military because it almost seems like you you came here you were here a decade ago yeah with a slightly different intent yeah you know and and not not that you weren't going to be successful but it seems like you as a young man were here to do other stuff to just enjoy the freedom of america then it seems like 11 years in the military you as a slightly more seasoned person yeah you know took a little bit of a harder harder route towards sort of what's next and how do I build a thing. So yeah. I guess the question is it, it could be both but like do you think that absent your military experience that would have been 
the same mentality or do you attribute a lot of that to that time you spent in that world I think I was always hard working um while I was not going to school I actually took a job over at the Gap when I just got here yeah and I was a I started off as a stalker mm-hmm. not stalker like stalking people <laughs> I was people. in stalking clubs no, no 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 stalker I was a professional in, in a warehouse professional stalker <laughs> someone who goes picks the clothes are yeah, going to go to a certain store sure. and then storing them in a place where a forklift will come pick it up and yeah, then yeah, take yeah. it over to the truck that's going to take it there uh and then got promoted to forklift driver cherry picker driver yeah. you know I was I was already going up the ranks sure a few months into my being in America so I started mm-hmm. off already hard working. Yeah. Um the job I had to get after the military was not an option for me. Hmm. I didn't have a home. Right. I didn't have family. I had nothing. Sure. So I had no support system. So right. if I if I failed here, that's the difference. I'd have to figure out a way to go back home to Kenya. Right. There was no more America for me. Huh. So yeah, this was do or die for me. Right, right, right. But that's the immigrant piece I'm talking about. There is no support system. Well, yeah. and I think that that's an interesting, I mean, yeah. And, and I've been and curious to hear your take on that. That is a double-edged sword, right? My daddy used to always tell me, he said, look, necessity is the mother of invention. He was like, that's where innovation comes from when you yeah. have to, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that all of us in here as parents, right, have those moments of like, at what point, where does structure matter? Right. Where does necessity matter? Where does desperation matter? You know, and sort of, I guess, the, the broader question is like, you know, is is that a... Because a, I think we hear all of the success stories, yourself and, right. and Tunji and these guys who have had that desperation built in but made it work. There's yeah. a lot of people who haven't, who are either really struggling or have gone back home or whatever. You know, so I think sometimes we fall into this trap of like, oh, yeah, well, they were desperate and they did it. That's why they were desperate. Or that's why they did it, yeah. Because they had to, because they mm-hmm. were backed against the wall. So I guess my question for you is like, do you look back on? And I think it's kind of hard to look at the counterfactual, but do you look back on that as like a a healthy experience, or do you wish you're like, man, it would have just been better if I had somewhere to stay? Like that would have been cool, and no. I would have I would have enjoyed it more if I like at least had a living room and I could have done this thing a little more practically versus like walking miles a day to car dealerships. No, I would not change a thing. Really? I would not change a thing because it opened up my eyes in a way that then allowed for me to see America more broadly. Hmm. On the train every day I'd observe different individuals acting in different ways that I'd never seen before right, right. anywhere. Sure. It was my first time out of the military, my first time really experiencing America. So yeah. like I I went into Southeast DC not knowing where I yeah. am and I was like dude these roads are worse than what we have in Kenya you know like I saw DC's th- like that too I mean you're a street off of two different yes. war I mean two different eras of America yeah you can go from the 70s to the 2000s I, took, I just took the wrong bus away. you know like hey. I was like yeah. where the hell am yeah. I yeah, I, was yeah, like, yeah. I was like Anacostia I was like Anacostia is a different world yeah yeah so yeah. so th- this was like eye opening for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean to answer your question, I believe the structure I got in the military, the ability to understand where I'm going to land if I don't get a job sure. and not having any support motivated me every single day hmm. to get the job that day. Right. And this day I walked into Passport Nissan was that day hmm. because well one manager, the manager sat in the same office. Yeah. One manager told me there's nothing, no opportunities available. I'm in the showroom, like I'm seeing the vehicles right here. Right. The other manager who's this gigantic 
gargantuan man. He's a, his name was Turk. Yeah. You know, like he's a Turkish guy. He sounds like a big he dude. He used to be yeah. a bouncer. So he stands <laughs> up. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to be knocked out of this place. He says, tell me about this car here. Mm-hmm. And just funny enough, I had just read uh, it's like a Motor Trend magazine uh, back then. Yeah. Around this car. No way. And the history of the engine, you know, <laughs> the, <laughs> all the features that come in, uh, it being in the last production year yeah. uh, coming wow. into uh, the U.S. from Japan. This was a Nissan Maxima. Okay, right? sure. You your technology down. Yeah, so I was like, this is a <laughs> Nissan, like even without even walking to the cars, like this is the Nissan Maxima GLE. It yeah. has a Q35 uh, it's a QC35 <laughs> motor that has yeah. won all these awards. And if you open the, the driver's door, you will find that this vehicle technology, like technology-wise, is one of the most advanced vehicles uh, and is still made in Japan where other vehicles are still made here. Mm. But there's a change potentially uh, because this is the second last year because 2003 was going to be the last year that they did it. Hmm. Your so, pitch was down. So and then yeah, I walked him around the motor. I walked him around <laughs> to the trunk, and the guy's like, "Have you ever sold a car before?" I'm like, "No, but I'm very passionate about it." Sure. The guy's like, "Passionate." Very passionate about it. Yeah, you got to hire people that are passionate. So he took my resume from the other manager's desk. Yeah. Walked me to the back of the dealership, introduced me to the HR lady, and he asked me, "What do you need?" I was like, "I need a letter to be able to show that I have employment, so I can get an apartment locally." He's like. He goes to the lady, I think her name was Linda, and asks Linda to write me up that letter and I can start the job the next day. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah, and Turk t- Turk and I till today are friends. Is that right? Stay in touch. Yeah. That's Turk changed my life. Yeah. Because I went back to Baltimore. Yep. I packed my stuff <laughs> the same the next day we came down to um Alexandria. I walked into the Oakwood Apartments, which was the street over from the dealership, yeah. and asked them if I could get a, a studio apartment. Sure. And they were like, yeah, if you have this money down and have a job and your credit is decent enough, you can come in. I just built my credit just enough to where you right. get passed, <laughs> right? Um, and you, the, the, the lady was like, yeah, we have this little studio. It was like, I think, 500 square feet, sure. yeah. which was amazing for me because I didn't have a thing I just had like a, a, a computer a gateway computer yeah there you go you right. know those you bet. Uh, and a, a stereo that I had bought in Egypt yeah uh, which was like amazing <laughs> so that was my life and then I bought an air mattress yep. and for six months I would come in very happy play my music sleep on my air mattress uh, you know, and my girlfriend at the time, she would come and hang out, and that yeah. was the life. Yeah, you know, best like best days of sure. your life. Best days of my no life. Mortgage, no mortgage. Yeah, kids. but no then I was working seventy hours a week. Yeah, you work sure. all the time. You know, yeah. so I went four months. I was learning the ropes, and on the fifth month, I, I topped sales at the dealership and <laughs> never lost from there. Like I was top <laughs> through uh, my career as a salesperson, which was about a year. Yeah, because then. A year into it, I met this guy who was buying a car from us, who was a truck driver. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you're making too much money here as a truck driver and you're working hourly. Sure. Can you please give me the, because uh, <laughs> when you were filling the credit report, mm-hmm. I had his uh, employer yeah. information. Can you please connect me to somebody I can talk to about a, an opportunity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he gave me this guy, uh, Harry's number. Um, and I called Harry, this this uh, uh fleet of trucks that comes out of Thornburg, Virginia, okay. uh, EF Thompson is a company. And uh, 
the very next day they gave me an interview. Yeah. And the interview basically is, can you drive this cab over? It's a cab over from like 1979. Like okay. A really old, old, <laughs> <Yeah>. ugly <laughs> truck. truck. Yeah. With a trailer. Yep. If you can drive this thing, oh, you'll get a job. I was like, all right, let's go. I drive this thing. So like, yeah, you had this transmission <laughs> called the Super 10. That, okay. You know, you kind of shift two gears in the same sure. position yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you move it and there's double clutching and there's everything. Yeah. I was in heaven. That's <laughs> so all you ever wanted to do is drive a truck. Right. And I'd driven and trucks up, in the military, right? Like, yeah, and I drove yeah. trucks in Kenya, yeah, you know, right. like trucks are way older than that. So the guy was like, how the hell have you not been driving trucks commercially? Because yeah. you're, you, you seem to know what you have. And I had a CDL class A. Yeah. Like, it gave me a job. On the spot, you know, he told me the only thing that you need to do is go past this uh, drug test. Right. So I passed the drug test. He's like, yep, do you want to start tomorrow? I was like, no, I got to give the, the dealership yeah. like a two-week notice. Sure. Don't burn bridges. So I did that. Uh, the dealership had sold me a car that I traded in uh, for like $900. <laughs> yeah. I had this now great, com uh, you know, like uh, ability to move around. And I took tractor trailer in 2003 and drove up until I graduated from UVA in 2008. Wow. So that's how you made a living. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I used it. to drive like uh, anywhere from 42 hours a week to 60 hours a week wow. while still in school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what brought you to EVA? Like how did you, where Where does that fit into to yeah, this particular story? Yeah, that's the funniest story. story. I had never heard of the University of Virginia. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm driving tractor trailer and I was like, I'm going to start doing community college because when I was coming out of uh, Egypt, uh, which was my second to last duty station, yep. I was based in the Sinai. Um, one of the generals there, there's a Canadian general, and then there was like a, the, it's 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 multi, uh, several contingents. Like okay. uh, Canada was one of the countries out there, Colombia, the U.S., right. British, Italians, Australians. So I talk to all these officers, and they'll be like, "Dude, you need to go back to school. You need to figure out exactly what you need to do because you have a lot going on for you." And education would just elevate you to the yeah. next level. Sure. So I knew I had to do school, but I was not quite ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I did is uh, from the advice of um, a counselor that I'd met, uh, they told me just go try out Northern Virginia Community College. Yeah, no, a big so, college, yeah. Yep. So I was staying now at this point, I was, I'd moved out to Lees, uh, Lansdowne, which is sure. close to Leesburg, mm -hmm. Virginia. And I went to the one in Sterling, the Northern Virginia Community College. And just like that, I just started taking classes randomly, you know, like just random classes. Not even like the ones the advisor tells you to take. To get no, the I took the electives, but Stuff then I started doing then, like yeah. interior design classes. <laughs> like, yeah, I need to check that out, you know. Oh <laughs> then the next thing, you know, I'm almost graduating with a business associate's degree and I need to figure out where to go. Right. So I applied to all the schools that the advisor gave me, UVA, Georgetown, George Mason, Virginia Tech. Right. And I got into all of them. So I wanted to go to Georgetown, but then it was... So, so expensive, expensive. and so it, expensive. there was no scholarships to go along yeah. with it. But UVA gave me partial scholarship. I was like, I need to go check out this UVA spot. Right. So I, my friend who was a real estate uh, person came down with me and we got a tour of the campus. And remember I'd taken some interior design classes. Mm -hmm. So I was like, look at the symmetry Look at here, the man. columns. This, this place <laughs> is everything. Oh, yeah. Somebody so it. immediately made up my mind that UVA is gonna be the spot. Uh, without knowing much about UVA or Charlottesville, yeah. and I fell in love with the campus. Yeah. So, um, uh, 2006 in the fall, I had graduated with my associates in business administration from Northern Virginia Community College, and accepted to UVA uh, to do English language and literature. That's what I was going to ask: Is what were you doing? Yeah. Okay. 
Yep. Interesting. And is that what you finished doing? Is that what your your degree is at EVA? Yeah. It is English really? language and literature, but uh, I ended up doing more economics than anything because all my friends were doing economics. Yeah. Just kind when of, you had a business admin associate's yes, degree. Yes, so I would just follow them to these economics classes and ended up, you know, essentially being able to do a minor in economics. Yeah. <laughs> but English so language and literature. Yeah. yeah, English language and literature uh, is what I wanted to do because I wanted to be able to communicate effectively mm-hmm. uh, both verbally and uh in you know written sure uh and uva really delivered there yeah mm-hmm. so all right uh, by the way if you're just joining us you're parachuting into the middle of one of the best conversations i've had i want to try and put these pieces <laughs> together for you by the way big thanks to our sponsor four corner real estate solutions okay so you come over here you're in the military you've sold cars driven trucks you have a business associates degree and an english degree <laughs> yes okay what is that if we have the ingredients and we're cooking that what what does that make? It's two thousand eight. Yep. Now two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. So spring. Spring of two thousand eight. So the economy goes upside down. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got all of these sort of what I would consider, and I mean this in not a disparaging way at all, but varied experiences, but not like a real credential that you could go Jeez. to like anywhere to stand behind. That's right. Right. So then, so then, what happens? Like, how do we get from there to here? Yeah. Right. Because you see all these people that story. like, I came out of Georgetown with a law degree. It's like, okay, you're a lawyer. I get it. Right. You've done a bunch of stuff and you have, you're sort of a great example of someone who like the second you talk to you, you're like, oh yeah, this guy could probably do anything. But I think part of the friction of the American job market is like, how many interviews does, do you get versus a kid with like, I have a degree from Richmond. Right. It's like, okay, I'll talk to that kid. I don't know if you can tie his shoes, but he's got the paper. Right. You have less of that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like once you get in the room, that's all like, that's, that's a slam dunk, right? Did you find that to be difficult, especially in that economic situation of like economy's going down, housing markets crashed. We're, we're not interviewing as many people. Yeah. Right. So, did, I mean, was that a real thing or, or did that, did you, were you just like, no, I just kind of got a break and made it work? Well, multiple factors um, and everything was working in my favor. Now, <clears throat> I think sometimes people tell me I create luck. Sure. So before I graduated, I'd met this man who was talking about the government change agents who came to speak with us at UVA. I asked him so many questions because he was talking about changing government and I had served in the military where we had like old equipment from World War II right. that the military still uses because the military is very good at like keeping yeah, things working, right? Sure, sure. So I was like, there's no way you can change the government. The government is the government. Let them work the way they work. Right. But this guy like really intrigued me. So I was like, what is consulting? Because, you know, hmm. he was talking about a consulting firm. Mm-hmm. And my professor agreed for me to kind of tag along at their dinner. And I continued asking my questions and I was very interested in all this work. Mm-hmm. So the guy left me his card and told me, if you ever consider becoming a project manager or anyone in the software development side of things, you know, we, we believe that you'll be a good fit for our organization. So I took the card and just put it in my pocket, but I knew this is a guy I need to follow up with at some point after I graduate and have a degree. Sure. So uh, at UVA, they have these uh, career opportunity days where yeah, you know, different sure. employers come in on campus and you interview, you interview, you interview. So I interviewed with everyone from Philip Morris to you know local firms here in Charlottesville and landed with a little startup called Spicy Bear, uh, which was based out of Charlottesville, okay. doing blogs. Okay. Yeah, so. Have you heard of that? Did you no. Oh, have okay. You? I thought no. you, no, no, I no, thought you nodded. I thought you nodded like you heard of it. Yeah, no, 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 I've never heard of that. So the, uh, in 2008, um, blogging was a big sure, deal. Sure, yeah. Big, big deal. So we had two blogs here, which were very successful. There was C-Villain, 
yep. uh, which is to report around events, activities uh, going on in Charlottesville. Uh, and then there was Civil Muse, uh, which was talking about arts, entertainment, and things okay. like that. Right. So I, was, I went in to be the kind of business development marketing person without really knowing what that means. But I knew <laughs> it just talk, it just meant talking to a lot of businesses mm-hmm. in order for them to advertise on your site mm-hmm. and, you know, grow the, the reach of your business. So did that. Um, and about three months into it, you know, the, the pace of it was uh, going very well. But they also had like aspirations to grow bigger, right. you know, potentially expand. Uh, and I was like, you know what, this thing could affect me at some point. So I need to see what other opportunities are out there now that I have a degree. Mm-hmm. So I called this guy that had done the interview, that I'd done the dinner with, with our professor. Yep. And I said, hey, what do I need to do? So he said, you need to uh, apply and uh, apply for the project management position. You'd have to start from zero. Like you'd be yeah. a junior associate right. under everybody. So I applied and I read up on every single thing I could about this company. So that way, when I do the interview, uh, I would know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I knew nothing about consulting. And I knew, well, I knew very little about consulting. Sure. And I knew very even less about project management. Mm-hmm. And Google was not at a point where you could Google these things and understand. Yeah. So I just kind of went there with as much information as I could pack in my head to, you know, to the interview. There, the interview was on a Friday and I went in and I interviewed with three different teams. Yeah. Uh, so get into the building, jump into the elevator, meet this lady. Uh, this lady ends up being the director of the entire program, which I fall under. Mm. Uh, her name was Denise. Mm-hmm. So we kind of conversed and she was like, well, I hope, you know, good luck in your interview. Mm-hmm. So I go in, uh, they sit me down, they put me in the first interview room interview me about my character sure you know me and obviously uh they kind of drove me through like the different aspects of my being in the u.s and also understanding my motivation Mm. to be there so did well in that interview the second part was a written part of the interview so they give you these whiteboards the whole room was filled with a whiteboard yeah they're like here's a case study how would you solve this problem (laughs) so then i kind of outlined how to do the problem I've never done any of this, so yeah. I'm just kind of guessing away. Yeah. So just, <laughs> How to do it. I was like, where? I'm How just going to gonna fill manager. this whole yeah, board. That's right. And then the third part was with this uh, senior associate, you know, very good guy of Indian descent. I was like, I can bond with this guy because I grew up with a lot of Indians in Kenya. So yeah. like, this is my zone. So like he and I, Bilal, he and I uh, went through this um, review of everything that I'd done on the board. And then he said... Um, you would make a very good team member. So I was like, okay, this is great. So that was like three hours of a Friday afternoon oh. yeah. spent at, very, at this very intense interview. But the good thing is I knew about the company culture. I knew about their values. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew about the case studies that had been done around them by Yale and Harvard. I was like, I, I'm ready for this organization. So anyway, as I leave, the guy who, his name is Daniel Forrester, and Daniel Forrester is still my mentor till today. Really? Yeah, he's a CEO of an organization called Through out of New York, New Jersey, uh, and he and I are very close. Yeah. So I get to meet him. I, I thank him for the opportunity that he had created for me to come and do this interview. I was like, whichever way this goes, uh, you know, thank you so much for, yeah. you know, giving me this chance. So I get home, and the Saturday, 
we're over by the lawn at UVA waiting to watch a game. So like, you, you know, if, if you've ever gone for UVA game and you're kind of hanging on the lawn, it's pretty loud. Yeah. Right. I have a cell phone now. So there you they, go. Yeah. What are we? 2008, 2009? This is 2008. There you go. Yeah. So now I get a, I get a call. It's a flip phone. It's, it, it's a, it's no, it was one of those Nokia, what? Nokia. Oh, it was fancy. A, no, huh? actually it was a Blackberry Pearl. Yeah, that's Blackberry right. Pearl. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I, so shortly after I got the iPhone. Yeah, that's okay. So, yeah. 2009. Um, I get a yeah. call at 2 p.m. amidst all this loudness. Sure. On a Saturday. Yeah. It was the organization. It's called Sapient. Okay. The recruiter yeah, sure. is calling me to offer me a job on the Saturday yeah. to start on Monday. Oh, my goodness. Lord. Like, we need you to wow. go to fly to Miami on Monday for your orientation. <laughs> You're like, okay. So same situation as last time. I was like, uh, well, I need to give uh, you notice. know Spicy Bear like sure. a two-week notice. Can we do the orientation two weeks from now? They're like, well, sure. Yeah. Then we then they come back and like, oh, by the way, we need to negotiate your salary. Yeah, I'm like, right. oh, what? Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> nice. you know, and you know, Turk, the guy at the at the dealership, had told me how to negotiate sure, salary. So yeah. like, I got a decent start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where it started. Um, and you know, to shorten the story, um, by the time I hit my second year, yeah, I was now a senior associate, about to be promoted to manager. Wow. wow. So I went up the ranks yeah. to, you know, like if I had started seven years before this date, right? I would be promoted the same position I was promoted into two years after my start. Wow. So I was leading a team. Yeah. The project that we started in 2008 with the NIH still goes on till today. Wow. The team we started was about three people, ended up uh, um, added to seven. And by the time I left in 2011, 50 team members. 50. 50. And this team has gelled so well till today that they're taking uh, trips together. Uh, and how it formed is we used to do activities together yeah. outside of the happy hours and other things, lunches, dinners, whatever. Right. We used to come down to Charlottesville and go tubing at the James River Runners yeah, yeah. Um, together and camp together. So that team still kind of works together. Sure. The project is still active. Wonderful. Um, and, you know, we have like T-shirts. We have things that kind of take us back to those moments but mm-hmm. instead of like always taking it back we're like what are we doing next sure yeah yeah wow so that's where it started are you still with the same firm or no you're on your no own now. so uh when i came back now <clears throat> so i went from the government side i went into the commercial side we're working with organizations like united health group mm-hmm. um so i used to travel a lot for that and then i came to uv and did a masters in the management of information technology mm-hmm. um and based on that de- now my masters degree uh, ended up at GE Healthcare uh, down in Richmond, uh, where now is a portfolio manager. Yeah. And then from there, you know, kind of started now understanding things like philanthropy and picking up. And today right. I am with the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Okay. Um, and I'm an account manager managing uh, hospitals, uh, cancer hospitals uh, across the country, uh, which allows for me to kind of help uh, improve the quality of care for cancer patients okay. uh, through data analytics. Um, so we, the organization that um, that falls under ASCO is called CancerLink. Mm. And that's where I work. Do you work, so on the software side, project management software side? I am a bridge. <laughs> okay. So I'm the guy who understands exactly what the developer needs to get in order to do their job. And I'm the guy who then explains that to a doctor, a practice administrator, a nurse. Broker their information. Yeah, so they tell the me exactly degree. what they're looking for 
Yeah, and then translate that to the developer who's Absolutely. going to. These are two different ways of thinking. Yeah, and I'm the and guy who helps. And they don't talk the same, actually. At all. <laughs> at all. So when you asked about the soup, like this is the kind of human you get with that kind of background, which I think is fantastic, right? Because yeah. it's not a one-track kind of situation. It's multifaceted. It is. It right, is. but you have to have all those life experiences to end up in this kind of. And, and that's why right I, I say I don't want to change any of the things that I yeah. went through because they were difficult, hmm. especially yeah. in the beginning. You know, like walking into a consulting firm that's very well, very very well established, right? <clears throat> has some of the highest bill rates, you know, yeah, for yeah, the yeah. services they provide. Yeah, you know, they expect you to be performing at the highest level because a, a lot of the people who are coming in are like these Harvard graduates. You know, mm-hmm. you know these these Ivy League. Uh, graduates who are coming and taking on these jobs, and then here I am, older uh, because I started mm-hmm. school later, uh, s- starting off here, and I I've never really done this that before. Work, yeah. But they expected me. Like for example, I remember the first day I went to work now for Sapient at the NIH, I was asked to take notes. Now, as a project manager, taking notes is part of your job. Right. But then at Sapient, you take the notes live. Right. So everyone's watching what you're typing and oh, they're correcting oh. you as you go because the <laughs> wow. conversation is live. Right. And I'm trying to type fast and I had to teach myself how to type because sure. um I was typing with two fingers right. at UVA and then at UVA they're like you need to you need to yeah. you got to type. You got to type faster because you, you you're taking notes, you're trying to yeah. do things like so AOL Instant Messenger. It was great for my generation. Yeah, so I took I took a I bought a book. I can't remember what it's called, but it's around typing. Okay. And I learned how to place my fingers on the keyboard sure. and everything. So now I'm trying to type that fast, <laughs> and I'm looking at the screen. <laughs> this person is talking. This person is talking. This other person is correcting me, and I can't keep up. <laughs> and the project manager basically at some point says, "Can someone else start taking notes? Because we're getting nowhere with these notes." So it, it was really frustrating because sure. yeah. yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then four months later, I was that guy. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Yeah. So there's this very steep learning curve sure. that you're always hit with that is very uncomfortable. Mm. Very, very uncomfortable. Actually, you know, like... It challenges it, you. Yeah, it challenges you. And sometimes people quit because mm. it's too hard. Yeah. You know, you're going home frustrated people every day. People don't like being challenged. Right. I mean, most people fall. <laughs> When yeah. they're in a situation like that, versus like, how do I rise to the occasion? Exactly, yeah. but once you get to the other side, it's amazing. Right? Oh my goodness! You gotta work. Yeah. You gotta work it. I got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I want to ask you a sort of, not even sort of. I just want to ask you a cultural question. There's a study at the University of Maryland that sort of caught my attention, and as I was going through through stuff, I want to talk to you about. So the study is called the abstract. It says black versus black: the relationships among African, African American, and African Caribbean people. Okay. Okay. And so it's this long study, this, that, and the other, you know, this, that, and the third. But the one that I think struck me, the, the part of this that struck me, is a sentence that says, the, um, there's a basic incompatibility between Africans and black Americans that leads to mutual rejection. Uh-huh. Okay, and the study was around college campuses, right? And and it says, oh my gosh, where is this piece? Good, okay. So it says, um, Black Africans interpret the African student's adjustment to the American educational system and white middle-class society as brainwashing. Okay. It says, this made Africans disappointed by black Americans' ignorance and apathy toward their heritage. That's a lot. But I do know, and I think, and we might have actually talked about this sort of in a a different space, about sort of that, like, cultural friction, right, that exist and did you find any of that as you were like i think there's a two-part question like you coming from a country in a world that is all black and that's where the power structures are that's where 
that's where all the you know the CEOs, the titans of industry, they all look like us. Yeah. Into a place where that was not the case. Right. Right. Did you know that? Like, did did you know that? And did that matter? Is sort of part one. Yeah. And then as you started to to grow and ascend in your career, did you feel any of that? And especially in a place like UVA, yeah. any of that kind of friction between you know kind of being African and and obviously identifying as that, right? Versus trying to sort of fit yourself into you know, a society where you are, are one thing and interpreted as another thing. Yeah. Um, so for me, I work off the energy I get from somebody else. Okay. Right. So the black American culture is one that I'm consistently learning about. Mm -hmm. And I started learning even deeper only five years ago. Right. When I first got here in the military, I was based in Savannah, Georgia. Sure. What's do with Georgia? Majority of my battle buddies were black Americans from the South. Yep. Right? These very big <laughs> guys who are very strong, but like they're big babies. Yeah. You know? I used to hang out with these guys every day. Loved every moment. Yeah. Right? They're my brothers. Yeah. And sisters too. Sure. Right? Um, but they never really opened me up to some of the struggles that they've been through to hmm. get to where they are. You know, one of them was a gang member. He had, he had like all these uh, gang leadership things on him and tattoos all over really and he was in the military because he was to go to jail or to come to the military right but he was my boy yeah yeah yeah, sure i learned from this guy but then when i got out of the army my interactions in america were either with uh caucasian people yeah or other africans ah interesting and i don't know i can't pinpoint why like I never really interacted with a lot of like black Americans yeah but the circles I always put myself in ended up with like Africans and Caucasians yeah in the spaces that I was in and I'll give you a perfect example in 2003 to 2004 I was living in Ashburn Virginia sure I was my my roommate and I Baxter and I were the only black dudes in the entire <laughs> complex. Yep. Apartment Asheville complex. is a very white community. Very. Yep. We used to go to very this bar. I used to go to this bar called Kirkpatrick's in Ashburn. Okay. Not like Silver Spring, Maryland. Exactly. <laughs> there was one other black guy and his name is JB and I can call JB yeah. today. His number is still on my phone. And JB yep. and I got along very well with everyone. You know, we'd go there and be the life of the spot. Right. But again... I always ended up in these communities where I never had the access to, you know, to talk to the black American folks. Sure. But then more recently, I've been hanging out here in Charlottesville with folks with a black professional network. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I was introduced to that uh, by a good friend of mine, Quentin Harrell. Yeah. And Quentin and Yolanda, I always have questions for them. Yeah. I've met so many good people here in Charlottesville from the black American community. And I've been learning from every single one because I have now come to realize, especially uh, through the uh, previous administration that opened up our eyes to a lot of the struggles, mm-hmm. racism and things like that, right. that happened in the U.S. It helped me understand some of the challenges there. Yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't call it a concerted effort, but I have a genuine interest in understanding a lot of the struggles that you know the Black American community goes through here through the lens of my friends locally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another thing is, I'd like to empower them a little bit by you know 
going to Kenya with me. Yeah. You know, mm. like you, uh, Quentin yeah. and uh, and his wife came to Kenya with me in December, and they saw how we live there. Sure, they saw our culture. They he saw said our it was rural area. Super empowering. He came back Very. super fired up. Very. So yes, there's a part of me today that wants to know more yeah. and also wants to introduce like the black American community and everybody else yeah. to where we're from so they can see like how it is to live in a country where 99% of the people are black like me. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and this also comes in the heels. I don't know if you saw this uh, uh, this report that Akon, you know, the, yeah. the did you see his recent thing? <clears throat> No, where not. he was in an interview and he he was basically he made some comments that you know again here there anywhere but was basically saying that um you know he was saying continue to describe black performers as wobbling pats pants half hanging down but sort of this cultural milieu of like there is a functional difference between me as an african yeah right and black americans black american performers and sort of the societal expectations and sort of how we fulfill those yeah and and some of the comments are interesting right some you know the guy was like well akon cosplayed as a black american as a rapper but it out right it seems like from the outside looking in people would look at us and be like you guys are the same color you're almost the same shade you probably just have the same point of view you know and i and i don't know that anybody or i haven't even you know not until i met you and marcus and some other people who i've had the opportunity to ask those questions about yeah. like what is the difference in the reality but also what is the difference in the perception yeah right you know and and i would be curious to ask you that like did you have as so as you met some of these people in the military is again a little bit of a confounding factor because there is a common goal there is sort of a, a structure but let's say when you got out let's say from 2003 as you have sort of worked through it was there sort of a, a perception of that of like, oh, my black experience is different, right? Because you're out there in a suit walking up and down the street to car dealerships, right? You know, or were you just like, I'm just trying to learn. I'm just trying to learn about what it is. No, actually, you know? it's very different. Growing up in Kenya, a black American person mm -hmm. was to us being Kenyans, yep. um, a runner, a musician, mm, a basketball player, okay. a successful individual. So we always wanted to be like the black Americans. Interesting. Because the black Americans had the Jordans. Right, you sure. Know, they had the Michael Jackson, you know, platinum selling albums. Sure. You know, <laughs> right. everything about a black man in America to us was what we wanted to be. Hmm. I wanted, you know, when I came to America, the first concert I went to was, you know, Destiny's Child yeah. because... <laughs> <laughs> that's the people I looked up to. Yeah, sure. You know, like I came to America when I landed in Chicago the first day. Yeah. Um, I saw, I saw, you know, um, uh, there was a lot of interesting things. For example, the sun was setting at like nine something. Yeah. And in Kenya, we're on the equator. So the sun rises at 630 something and sets at 630 something every single day of the year. <laughs> so like this, I was like, someone's watch is wrong. Right. But then at the same time, I saw a lot of people who are, you know, a little bit bigger than, sure. than you know, what we're used to in Kenya. So there was this obesity thing. Yeah. We had never seen that. Mm. Interesting. I'd never seen that. Yeah. So my perception coming into America was that America is a cool place with cool people. Yeah. And in my mind, in the back of my mind, I associated the black people with success. Interesting. With success. Because yeah. even in, in school, we are not taught about, you know, the the uh, slavery and the slave trade sure. at a depth in which you can understand the suffering mm. that a lot of people's families and ancestry went here through. in the U.S. Yeah. went through. So right. like some of the things I'm learning about slavery and, you know, kind of like the origins of, you know, some of these communities here in the U.S. and how black people are impacted. Yeah. 
are things that I need to dig deeper on because huh. now I'm starting to see the Understand. correlations. Interesting. Right? So coming from Kenya, you know, and I, I, even when, when that administration was in, you know, a lot of folks overseas got to see an America they had never imagined. Mm. You right. know, like we always looked at America favorably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but that administration opened our eyes up to a lot of the madness that happened yeah. in this country. <laughs> sure. Madness for sure. Yeah, so Interesting. yeah, there okay. was a lot of that. I came here with the perception that black people were actually very successful, yeah. you know, very well well to do, uh, very athletic, yeah. very gifted, talented, mm-hmm. you know, be the smartest in the country. I we I came to America knowing that everyone's equal. Hmm. But then I didn't really see the depth of the pain of the black American communities until f- much much later mm. in my living in the US. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You could say you can you could say it. <laughs> um what you 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 got any more? You well, wanna, I, this is fascinating. <laughs> we need a part 2. <laughs> we can We sent out a lot with some of the but, but you for sure need a part 2 yeah. cuz we're just getting into some of I think the interesting topics. Yeah. Questions we have mm-hmm. about your experience and and just what your perspective is being from Africa on the Black American experience because we've just like literally scratched the surface with that question. So we'll definitely have you back. Oh, I, I, I plan on coming back we'll and back. You know, just sharing more because I feel yeah. like there's so much opportunity uh, in the community, especially in Charlottesville. Like yes. how we change that. This show is about changing the narrative and the dialogue. Sitting yeah. down with you today is about educating people about your experience, right? Yeah. Every experience is so different, but there's so much opportunity. And I think often in the black community, we talk, especially when we're talking about poverty, about the oppression and the injustice and the inequities. But there's also so much opportunity, right? There is. Life um, is very unfair for a black person here in Chicago. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. there, there's a lot more that someone has to overcome mm-hmm. to succeed. And, you know, if there's any ways in which we as a community, we as individuals, including myself, can help, you know, that's what we're here for. You know, like for me, it's only a pleasure to learn about somebody. I sit with people on the street just to learn their story. Mm. You know, like someone begging on the street, I'd go to Christian's Pizza downtown and grab like a slice of pizza and a soda and come sit yeah. down and learn a little bit. Because again, I'm hungry for that information because where I'm from, you know, I can take you there and you'll see that, you know, we, we come from a pretty good background yeah. you know, huh. I went to private schools yeah. um, you know I studied with like a diverse set of people which means that growing up I grew up like worldly yeah. mm. in many ways and you come here you know a kid is only all they know is their home their neighborhood their neighborhood and their school right. and their neighborhood and is what a they're being grown. told they're capable of exactly yeah. so right. they, there's a lot in there that you know we can do mm-hmm. and uh, i want to be part of that change here i mean we talk about the racial wealth gap here all the time at yep. united way and certainly we're playing just our piece we're only a piece of that puzzle it right. takes the community-wide um, awareness and a desire to change that narrative absolutely and we can be the change leaders mm-hmm. you know i want to be a change leader here in the u.s and you know being from kenya i want to be a big change leader and advocate liaison whatever yeah. it takes you know to improve the you know trade and things like that sure. between Africa and the US and you know if somebody wants to come to Kenya with us you're uh, welcome you know yeah. come see come see how we're doing things in sub-saharan Africa for the western world and you know uh for ourselves mm. yeah. you know we are starting to take leadership roles uh more globally and yeah. not just like locally within our communities yeah so technology yeah. has really advanced us mm. in Africa 
It's very inspiring. I mean, I think your story is inspiring, your hustle is inspiring, and the good you're doing in our community. You don't have to, right? Lots of folks just get up and go to work. They're not worried about other people. So the fact that you have such a sense of um, yourself that you think of others is pretty awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. So with that... <clears throat> we'll uh, we'll head out. Big thanks to Zicky and, of course, to our sponsor, Foreclosed Real Estate. Um, if you have ideas for the show, want to contact us, want to uh, someone we should be talking to, drop us a line and vision at unitedwayseville.org. Check us out on all platforms at unitedwayseville. How do folks keep up with with your various work, either with um, Just Help or with <coughs> Jews Africa? You know, how do how do we how do we find and or get involved? Yeah, um, you can find me. Uh, my website is munyao.com, M-U-N-Y-A-O.com. Uh, that will give you access to um, the work I'm doing. Um, you can check out Just Help, um, uh, justhelpafrica.org. Uh, that's the organization that we are working in Sub-Saharan Africa based out of here, Charlottesville. It's a 501c3. We're looking to raise money to empower kids in, in Africa, uh, starting with Nigeria. Um, and, you know, you can look for me, uh, Z-I-K-K-I underscore M on Instagram, uh, Z-I-K-K-I M-U-N-Y-A-O, on Facebook, um, and you know, I'm always at the Common House. <laughs> He's uh, always around. That's always right. Always at the Common House, <laughs> and always around, and always open to get to meet new people. And if we can empower others, you know, that would be a service that I would not mind providing. Wonderful. We get uh, help on our show from Nadra in our office, so big thanks to her. And if you like what you hear, the best way to support the show, share this with your friends, family. If you got any long holiday drives, there's 86 other episodes. Um, to listen to, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. New episodes are coming out weekly um, on your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, wherever you get podcasts. For Zicky Ravi, this is Price. We will see you next week.